Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm Sky Cassidy, and today we'll be talking with Cody Ward of Connexium about the evolution in marketing from advertising to accountability, and to say it in one word, I guess we'd say revenues. Um, so Cody's the Senior Director of uh, Demand Generation Marketing at Connexium, uh, where he specializes in marketing to generate pipeline and accelerate revenue. There's that word again for uh, VC and uh, PE, private equity-backed hypergrowth SaaS companies. Thanks for coming on the uh, show today, Cody. Thanks for having me. So this uh, revenue topic, that's a big one. A lot of companies starting to uh, change people's titles to include the word revenue, make a chief revenue officer. Right. Um, seems to be uh, accountability The from advertising. We're going from mad men to uh, let's measure who's actually creating money for us type thing. I, I guess I'd say from mad men to Sam Ace Rothstein of the movie Casino, De Niro's character, the only one they let live because he makes them money. That's right. So uh, this this topic of revenue, I, I guess to start off, you have a, a recent LinkedIn post about the 30 rules and three problems that hold back marketing. I'd love to focus on those three problems. Yeah, and, and where it all started was um, I, I was I was talking to a lot of fellow marketers and and they were just struggling and and they're not reaching their full potential um, and they feel like there's there's a couple of things uh, holding them back. So a couple of problems that that just seem to pop up over and over and over. And the more more I started talking to other marketers, the more these became common in my mind and and I just had to kind of address it. Right. So let's jump in and say what are the three problems holding back marketers? Absolutely. So uh, the first problem is is justification, and it's the biggest problem. And you know, to your point about advertising, the Mad Men, the you know John Wanamaker's quote: "50 percent of what I'm doing is working, and I just don't know what half." That's no longer acceptable for advertising or marketing. Um, and and so you have to justify and show results. Uh, the challenge is that you need to show results immediately. And often a new CMO or a, a, a vice president of marketing, uh, they're already in the hole and they need to show results immediately and how, how they're ultimately delivering value to the company. And that intense pressure is, is what makes them try and shortcut a couple of things. It makes them try and uh, come up with the answer immediately instead of building a long-term solution, um, potentially the, the better way. Right. Now that seems like it's conflicting a little bit. You're saying long-term solution. That sounds like traditional old school brand marketing versus lead generation, revenue generation marketing. I would think there need to be a balance of the two. A lot of companies go 100% especially software as a service, it's just how many signups accounts do we get? And maybe they don't even have a sales team hardly. Uh, it's, it's, all, it's all automated. So how do those two things balance out? Well, it, it starts with how marketers view themselves to combat this problem. And you've got to start as a, a strategist of the business. And too often marketing think that they're, uh, they're a way of you know, delivering 
uh, better awareness or uh, delivering a number of contacts into the database. And you've got to start really at the boardroom and say, what does my CFO care about? Let me think it and put it in terms of uh, I'm going to act as if it's my money. Uh, I'm going to have all of my goals modeled after the same things that you know um, my, my CFO cares about. And it's a changing away, I think we as marketers even to begin to think about ourselves. We're, 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 we're shifting the conversations from a cost center to a potential revenue profit center. It dawns on me that I believe, I have not done the research, but off the top of my head, the most successful team for a startup of probably any type would be the technical person and the marketing person. And the archetype to look at there is just Apple. I mean, you have jobs, but he's just a marketing person. And then you have Wozniak. Well, he's the technical person. And together, you, you got yourself a home run. Yeah, that does seem to be a magic combination there. And that's, I mean, at the core of it, marketing is both art and science. Right. And I think I said just a marketing person. He had a lot of technical skills as well. And you know, I don't want Absolutely. the the jobs fans to come after me. But <laughs> um, it does seem that having a marketing founder um, is a can be an important element in a company. And it, I guess it goes back to the motivation when you're hiring a marketer. It's oh, what am I measured on? A founder is like I'm measured on winning. I'm measured yeah. on like this is my company. So they are motivated for that end goal always. Well, I think the balance is important. And so it depends on what kind of, you know, founder or CMO that you have. And, and I think in, in the past, um, a lot of the CMOs I know, they know one, one side or they grew up in the brand side of the business and um, they have to justify all of the spend, all of the actions and activity that they're taking. Or don't, or, or don't, don't because they're, they're the CMO and founder. So they just do the brand actions and maybe that can cause problems without the justification. That's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, the measure in, in my mind of whether this is working and it depends on, you know, what you're trying to do. Um, but I view marketing as, is trying to drive effectiveness, scalability and predictable growth. And, mm -hmm. and if it's not trying to drive that, if you've got a different, you know, ultimate objective for your marketing team, um, I'd really strongly encourage you to consider that because, it has the capabilities. Um, there's reasons why uh, VC and PE firms, um, they started off, you know, pulling CFOs into their in-house team and then applying that across the company for cost efficiencies. They did the same thing with sales leaders. Uh, and now you'll see more and more pop up. They're looking at marketing and the demand gen as a way to, to grow the top line. And I think maybe software as a service has a huge influence on that because of the potential to cut the sales out and now the marketing and sales are the one person can you drive traffic to sign up and go through our automated process and you make a great you, a great point there is sales and marketing working together is is the magic formula which is why you see a lot of revenue operations and revenue cro's titles trying to just bridge that gap and so how much of this evolution is due really to technology the fact that you I mean, once you can track something, you're going to. And then once you can track something, you can have accountability. I remember managing a sales team and without the ability to track what was going on, it was just like all you could do is have a feeling about somebody and yell at them based on their final end numbers. And then it was too late half the time. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And I've, I've watched it evolve from not being able to track to being able to track everything uh, to now, honestly, I think we're at a point where we're, tr- we're tracking too much. And so we've got to be selective about what actually metrics matter. And so we, we put this, this label on some of them and calling them vanity metrics. And then we've put this label on other ones that are like, those are our core primary business driving metrics that we should care about. Let's highlight those because there's, there's a lot to think about and, and right. to view on a given day. So yeah, we can track things and then it's like, great, let's track everything, dashboards, dashboards, dashboards. And then, oh, maybe we should think about what we actually need to be tracking and what matters. But then you get things saying like, okay, email opens. All right, that's a metric we want to see, but it probably doesn't belong on a high level. Um, But somebody who's dealing with email lead generation, let's say, needs to pay attention to opens. you have all these metrics and maybe they are important to somebody somewhere. Cause if you say email opens is a vanity metric, never mind that. Well, maybe you need to look at if you can double your email opens, that's going to flow through. It's why we look at the vanity. So calling it a vanity almost seems like dismissing it maybe because you had too many things or because um, you didn't really want to focus or didn't know how to fix that problem. So on one hand, yeah, there's a ton of vanity metrics, but then on the other hand, Hey, you need to write better subject lines or get somebody who knows how to write subject lines. Cause then you can double your opens. And if that flows through to everything else, the whole reason we have that metric in the first place is if they don't open, they can't click and if they don't click. They can't and on and on and on. That's right. And it's all about what that metric is really telling you at the end of the day and who it's for. And when I, I, I would probably call, uh, an email open rate, um, not a useful tool for the CFO or the CEO or the, the head of sales. It's not one that they, they could predict uh, additional growth or revenue from in the future. Uh, there are some things that it tells you. It tells you that maybe one piece of content or email was better than another one. Uh, it can tell you trends over time that mm-hmm. our emails are doing better this month than last month. Um, there, there are a lot of uh, you know, risks in the numbers. If if you don't fully understand them, especially as technology changes, a lot of uh, email service providers are now opening those emails automatically on behalf of people looking for spam. So the technology are flagging inflated numbers. Um, and so it's all about what, you, what you're ultimately doing with that information. And it's taking that in, those insights and really um, highlighting the right things and making your decisions. Understand, I guess one person's vanity metric that the CMO does not need to care about email opens, but there is somebody whose job is to manage the campaigns That's and right. they better really care about email opens. Yeah. And the problem only, um, the only problem here is if you, if you start talking about Eva email opens as a success metric for right, right. your marketing to someone like your board. Right. Right. So maybe that person running the campaign one, they probably would, never should or could be in front of the board in any way. Um, But you talk about justification at some point along the way, each person has a different level. So the person running the campaigns has to justify what they're doing. And and that metric may actually come in at that point. Look, we made this shift. And so we're getting these. And so I think we should do this or use this platform because we get better those rates. Um, But ultimately, each position, it seems like in marketing has a end metric that um, and everything below it kind of maybe can help you project 
as you go through the process, help you say, hey, we're just starting, but here's what's going on. Ultimately, though, it all it comes down to the end metric. So for that email person, how many how many leads, how many quality leads came from um, from this process, regardless of I always tell people I can make a subject line that gets an insane amount of opens just by saying I found your dog or some other random thing that seems like not even random, but, uh, um, you know, or I can find a platform, like you said, that flags every delivered email as as open doesn't identify the the spam filters and the virus filters opening versus the person opening where I can only send to Gmail addresses knowing that they open every single one and load all the images. So it looks like they all clicked as well. And then they'll have an insanely high campaign rate, but you won't get the, the flow, the actual final metric for people to be measured on. I guess you're saying the, the CMO, maybe it then comes down to the topic here, revenues. Yeah, and that's why I'm I'm encouraging you know anyone listening to really focus on revenue and start there um, because there's there's ways is you know as as marketers to to hack dial up dial down those those front end metrics um, if you wanted a lot more open rates you wanted a lot more MQLs uh, there's a lot of ways to do that but uh, what you'll find is a is a marketing team that's high fiving and celebrating the fact that they achieved whatever that target was and then you look over at your sales team and they're all down because they missed quota and you're right. like wait a second you're this you're the, you're the same goals right it's no they're different. You have the Dilbert uh, sales and marketing dilemma right. going on. <laughs> the, the departments, the old school fighting between the departments. Okay, so that kind of brings us to something I like to ask people regularly, um, and that's the sales and marketing, the the merging of the departments, the separation, the fighting, the different responsibilities. And the question here is, who works for who? Does sales work for marketing, or does marketing work for sales? Oh, that's a big question. You're going to, you're going to start some conflict here. That's the idea. (laughs) The way I like to think about them is, is they're integrated or they're not. Um, And in alignment isn't even really a good word here. It's integrated. And are they, are they overlapped with the same common um, measurements, process goals? Like think about how many marketing teams don't even pull up uh, the, the close one business, how they, how they, you know, came into the funnel, what the pipeline looks like, like the metrics at the end of the day should be the CFO metrics. Um, And that's why you got to be a strategist. And then your model should be ultimately the same one as sales as is my, is my perspective. Interesting. So, so you kind of took out the easy way out. (laughs) That's right. Put the spin on it. Yeah. Integrate them there. That makes me think of the, ability now that we have for marketers, like salespeople get a commission when they close deals, but now we can track all these things. And I remember being a sales manager and finding, trying to incentivize certain behaviors and finding the salespeople are always better at working when any system I created. So it'd be like, well, back to vanity metrics. I want them making more calls. Okay. Let me set up something where we're, then you do a ton of work. You're setting the call tracking, you're setting the dial tracking and uh, I'm going to set up something where I can track how many calls they make. And I mean, nowadays it's easy. It wasn't so easy back then. And um, then we're going to have some sort of a payout based on call volume. And so we set up this massive system for that. And it seems to work at first, but then you get people, you find people that are 
have figured out ways to hijack the system, figured out they can dial and hang up and dial and hang up and dial and hang up, hit redial, tell the same number 10 times in a row and get those and get big, huge numbers that end up nowhere. And so that's the sales team. Now we're saying, hey, marketing team, um, we, we want to incentivize you to do the same thing kind of in that I've heard of companies or there definitely are companies that are actually commissioning their marketing teams on different things, sometimes on those vanity metrics or on some other metric, and sometimes on sales attributed back to things that the marketing team develops. What do you think about, this is the world's longest question, uh, what do you think about marketing teams or individuals being commissioned in some way? Well, I support it, whether you do it with a, with a commission or a spot bonus or, a, you know, some overall incentive. Um, but to your point, you can hack a lot of different metrics and numbers and, and, and maybe cheat is even a better word. And because you can't cheat revenue, you can't cheat new customers and close one business in sales ultimately is responsible and measured very easily on the, the amount of new customers and revenue that they're generating through the door. And so it's, it's obvious that all these other, um, all these other measures or methods that you put in front of them, they, they ultimately are still coming back to, did they close more customers or not? And then the, is their paycheck bigger or not? And on the right. marketing side, it's not that way. And everyone wants to be rewarded and appreciated and, and incentivized. Um, and so marketers will, will chase the, the drug of, of we, oh, we did all of these things, or we, we increased this number from this to this, because they're searching for ultimately the bigger paycheck signal. They're just not getting it because it's not set up that way. Right, right. So, but if you can do the attribution, you could, you could commission back to marketers on their activities and then create the same problems you have in the sales department and the marketing department. <laughs> yeah. I I've not worked at a company that has com commissioned marketing in that way. Um, but on the surface, I would be, you know, more than thrilled to be, be part of that. It would certainly motivate me. It seems thrilled, but I just, it scares the crap out of me with all the problems, unforeseen problems it could create taking your, your marketers and, and incentivizing them that way. Um, but, yeah, it would be interesting to see somebody pull it off successfully. I guess I'd say you're kind of turning your marketers into internal affiliates, um, depending on what your activities are and, and whatnot. Uh, you, you work with a lot of software as a service companies, so I could see right. you know, commissioning them on signups or something like that. But then you're going to get that marketers like, great, let me create 10,000. I can buy Gmail accounts at this cost and set up this script to sign up for our service and have a bunch of fake accounts. Um, and, and make a bunch of money. That's the, uh, you know, the, the entrepreneur within your company that figures out he's working for himself. That's right. Yeah. And, and I think either way, you, you know, commission or not, you certainly can recognize um, and, and reward and, and celebrate when, when marketing helps the company close sales at the same time as sales. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Back to the, the main topics here, we, we have these three things that, that I want to keep focusing on. We've, we've been talking about the justification, 
and the the issue with justification going back to the core of that is that justifying their individual marketers justifying their individual activities to their higher ups justifying their all their marketing overall specific you know saying having to sell the company or a higher up on a specific campaign um what can you can you dig into that a little bit more yeah, to me, it's it's justifying results and justifying what you're doing is proving results. Um, and especially in, in B2B, which is where I live, and especially for enterprise, um, it takes a long time to see those results. And so you're searching for uh, an answer ahead of the answer. Um, but there are some indicators that can tell you you're doing the right thing. But if you stop and you don't you don't pull it all the way through to revenue and you you stop and say, OK, we set up a meeting, you know, let's clap our hands. We're done. Marketing did it. Let's go on to the next one and get another meeting. You're missing the point because ultimately those need to close throughout the entire funnel and then become revenue. Right. So we're talking about ultimately justifying your entire existence as a marketer uh, to the company. Come come time for cuts in the company or promotions. Um that kind of justification. That's right. Yeah. I think every business, especially in the last 18 months has been looking at every department. Um, and unless you've got a defense plan, um, you're in trouble. Or I guess I'd say justifying marketing, um, uh, marketing budget. So getting back to the, uh, this has been a topic before that's come up where we said, look, if marketers would work closer with sales and give them what they want. And this was a topic of um, saying that marketing works for sales. Not only do they work for them, but sales is, is their client. Uh, and if they give them what they want as a client, when it comes budget time, the lower level salespeople will actually ask for more budget to go to marketing, the individual salespeople, because they know marketing's generating things for them to close. And they're actually making, whereas increased sales department budget, they're just going to get more salespeople. And that's more competition for those same leads. So you'll get the, the, base of sales fighting for more marketing budget when marketing works for sales and, and, and provides them what they want. I believe it. The last thing that sales ever wants is marketing to go off and spend a bunch of money that doesn't close business for them. Right. And again, and if they're generating leads, they also don't want more salespeople hired because now they're diluting the lead pool. That's right. <laughs> they say, no, no, I want all these leads for myself. Okay, so we've got through the justification. I think we beat that up pretty good. Any any last uh, thoughts, anything we haven't covered on uh, the justification problem? No, the biggest one there is um, is start with the end in mind. Kind of think about you know your 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 revenue goals of the company. Is if you were in the, the boardroom, how are you driving the business versus kind of being fed what the strategies are? I think CMOs have a big opportunity to to be in the driver's seat because they have a ton of intelligence about customers, about the product, about the prospect and market, um, and they should take advantage of that. And then um, they should have a plan in the format for finance. It should be an articulated budget. No one, they shouldn't be waiting for someone to give them a budget. They should have it in hand, um, know exactly what technology they need, and then just you know have a plan of action um, and defend it. And that's an awesome point. I would say not only will sales come to bat for you when you're looking for more budget, um, but if you're showing the revenue and you can show that, then it's really easy for everyone else to look at it and say, yes, look, we've built this machine and we can prove it. When you put this much in here, this much comes out here. Yeah. Now, how much you, do you want to put in here? Off. How much do you want to come out the other side? Cause here's what you got to put into here. This exactly. is 
this is the uh, the very if marketing makes themselves the variable, then the company's job becomes to find out how much money they can put into that marketing funnel. Well, yeah, and if you're the CFO and if you've got X number of dollars and you can see it over here in sales, you can see it over here in marketing, you're looking at all your other departments that probably hasn't just, haven't justified it as well, um, you've got a pretty good shot at either protecting or growing. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, get yourself more budget. There's how. I, I guess the only question um, someone uh, questioning your budget would have then would be, okay, what's the threshold here? I know if we put right. in one, we're getting out three, but how many ones can you handle before you max out? And that's basically all they're asking is, is how much, what's the most money you can handle taking? Exactly. Uh, that's the kind of question you want to get when you're asking, when you're uh, looking for budget for your marketing department. Which is a completely different um, starting point than how much did you burn and uh, what can you reduce? Yeah. <laughs> it's a big, uh, big difference there. I guess once you can, once you can show revenues, it's almost like uh, talking about VCs and, and, and whatnot. Um, you know, when pitching to VCs, that's what they want to see. What's the, what's the growth scale going to be? What's the ROI going to be? Ultimately, that's all they really care about. What's the ROI and what's the odds that actually happens? Do we believe you? That's right. Um, marketing kind of pitch your company the same way you pitch a VC because they're both giving you money or not. Yeah, when you go go up uh, in front of your your CFO and your CEO, just picture yourself on Shark Tank. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> you're asking for money. You're on Shark okay. Tank. You're asking for money. Yep. So three problems. The second problem here is the moving target uh, is what I listed it as. I'm not sure that's what you called it. Change. You refer to that's it right. as. Yeah, I called it. I called it change, and and most importantly, the fact that change is accelerating. Like I think things change for all groups and functions, um, but for marketing, it's going at a pretty fast pace, and it's only getting faster. And the challenge is, is things that have worked in the past um, may not provide the same results. And so, moving targets is a good way to say it because not only are your your company's targets potentially moving, but how you get to those targets are, are constantly shifting beneath you, which is why if you've got an end goal in mind, there's some ways to, to combat it by being data-driven, by you know, being adaptable, by, by having this ultimate you know, integration and goal with sales. There's, a, there's ways to, to you know, you know it's going to change. That's the only constant. How do you prepare for it? Also seems like on one hand, if you're good at your job, it's job security. Uh, if you had one good idea, you're screwed because things change and now you got nothing. Yeah. Um, you only got one thing, one thing to do and yeah, that no longer is effective. Um, and we've seen that before. We saw that with, uh, uh, in the last 18 months with, with in-person events. Mm -hmm. It's not some companies and marketers that I've been talking to, um, that was their cash cow. They were going to market 100% in in-person events. And then what happened? 100% of in-person events disappeared. Yeah, that, that's a hard one to uh, foresee. I know last year, our major marketing focus was live events for the first time. We were like, we're going big on live events. And then, then I think we got one event in um, before everything started falling apart. Um, yeah, so things change. I think, I guess, before live events, you could look at uh, just marketing techniques. You had things get blown up. Probably the last big thing like COVID taking out live events would be the introduction of email marketing and people who are experts at 
cold calling and experts at physical mail and suddenly some kid walks in the room and is eating your lunch because he can do 10 times the results at half the cost. That's right. And then, so being, being super great at that, uh, no longer, no longer pays off. In fact, you get passed over. So yeah, things are constantly changing. You constantly have to be finding a new secret fishing hole. Cause this one suddenly isn't new anymore. I, I always well, say it, it, the way I think about it is it's there's, you know, the ways that I would combat it are what, what can someone take away from you? Like you're a company, you're a marketer, uh, and you're trying to get in front of an audience. And the very first question that I would ask is, do you own that audience? And think about Facebook or LinkedIn or even Google paid search. Is there a potential for that audience to disappear from you? What if Google stopped doing paid search? What if LinkedIn took away all of those audiences? You don't technically own them and that's really a risk for your business. And so, you know, as things change, one of the ways you could mitigate that risk is to develop a direct channel with your audience because guess who can take that away? Nobody. Yeah. That's why we say your, your own internal newsletter email list is your most valuable. It's, it's an owned channel. Owned channels are huge. Absolutely. These social media people, Google AdWords is doing awesome for you until a competitor decides to come in and outbid you on every major keyword. That's right. And then suddenly, even if it's working, it's not working for you anymore, or the ROI is destroyed because the market gets just too saturated. Uh, we've seen industries that email marketing worked great for until it got saturated. The That's people right. receiving the messages were now getting the same message from 100 companies every day. And so it didn't matter if you were any good, you were part of this oversaturation and it, there was just no response anymore. So you have to be constantly changing with it, I guess. Yeah. And, and there's a couple of things that, um, you know, so I grew up uh, one of my first jobs was search engine optimization and Google would change the algorithm every month, it seemed like. Um, and it was almost impossible to, to keep up with the change of their algorithm. Um, but you could also then, you know, take the philosophy of, of what is Google really never going to change. And that is the experience of the user. So if you said, I'm not going to chase keywords, I'm not going to stuff them, I'm not going to build a bunch of fake backlinks, what am I going to do? I'm going to create a a website that is the best for the user. They spend the most time on it. They come from quality sources. Those are the the websites that are going to win out in the end because that's Google's main objective is they want to get you to the right answer fastest. So what I'm hearing is the way to beat the change problem is just provide good stuff. <laughs> good stuff, but I think you create a direct channel is one thing. And then you celebrate and create this flywheel with your customers and celebrate them as heroes. I, I, you know, it, Imagine if every company didn't talk about their product and services, but they use their website, their email, their user conferences, all of their advertising just to celebrate their customers. How many people and prospects do you think would want to be one of those customers? That's interesting. Yeah. So show, show the results by showing the results of customers, kind of your whole marketing is, is testimonials and case studies kind of. That's right. You've got a platform and just deliver, deliver that through the voice of your customers, because what, what, what are your prospects going to believe? Are they going to believe one of your customers or are they going to believe a website that looks like everyone else because you're touting how great you are? Right. Excellent. Um, I mean, that's so one of the things I remember when looking at this topic with you and looking at these three problems, it's a massive topic. And each one of these 
these problems you're putting out there that that can be solved justification the change and the optics could easily be their own episode or mold. So we're kind of like dusting through each of these and listeners right. might be thinking to themselves, Oh, wait, wait, you, you barely touched on that. You just bounced around. What about this? What about that? These are really big topics. Um, we will put in the show notes, a link to, to your write up on this. It gets much more in depth than we, even with a long show, like we have, we could get into, but just so the listeners know, yes, we're bouncing all over the place. We're trying to stick to a little bit of structure here. General, you know, concept here is revenues, revenues for marketing, focusing on revenues. And, and we're using these kind of three problems to overcome as a, um, as a template to have some structure in this giant conversation. Um, That's right. Yeah. And you asked, you asked about, you know, do I think sales should, should serve marketing or marketing serves sales? And, and, you know, you know, I kind of, to, to your point, dodge the question a little bit, but but the third problem is really, I think, at the core of it, why I didn't answer it: marketing reports to sales, and the reason why is problem three is optics. Everyone thinks they're a marketer, especially salespeople, and so I'm okay with with uh, sales being a very very important stakeholder. The problem occurs is when they think they understand marketing better than the marketing team and they start putting you down rabbit holes that ultimately don't affect revenue. Because there's Uh a lot of things that sales wants and ultimately they are, you know, they get rewarded and compensated for revenue, but they also might not have the best path forward. So if you're going to say marketing works for sales, you'd have to say works for them. Yes, but doesn't take instructions from them. They're like an independent agency because sales will send them down the wrong paths constantly. Like you have to know what you're doing enough to stand up them and say, let us do our job. And like, they're the ones you're on the same team. Yeah. Yes. And we have the same objectives and that's the key. That's an interesting and excellent point. I've always said marketing works for sales, get over it marketing. You know, everybody works for somebody, but um, yes, working for them and doing their bidding is a very different thing. Uh, That's right. And the reason why um, I think that's a hard question is because there are companies and examples where, um, and there are probably more examples where, where the company has thrived without marketing, but there's also examples where the company has thrived without sales. And I'm talking about some product led growth, you know, certainly in where I'm at with software, um, I'm talking about uh, highly transactional businesses that can basically just, you know, generate a bunch of customers and there's not a salesperson on the other line to walk them through and do a consultative sale. Right. And I'm your focus, uh, your company, software as a service companies are kind of this new boom of company types. I think VCs love them because of this, because you can connect the revenues to marketing metric and then just ramp it up. It's very scalable, I guess. And one of the things that's not very scalable is salespeople. They're tough to scale. They're, they're like cats of the uh, company. Um, but with software as a service, it's that process. It's this automated, get people there, get them to sign up, get them a 30-day trial. Um, not as much salespeople. And people are going to say, yes, there's tons of salespeople. All these things have, you know, salesforce.com has plenty of salespeople and it's a big part of the company, but it's very different than the old door-to-door Zig Ziglar sales probably. 
Um, yes, absolutely. And and we've seen that um, that marketers are being asked to do more selling like things, especially uh, even in enterprise doing more uh, ABM, such as you're starting with the accounts mm-hmm. and, and then you're you're expanding into them. Well, what does that sound like? That sounds a lot like sales. It is exactly. I was, so when ABM came out, I had been working in sales for a while, managing the sales teams at that time, and I was confused by it. Yes. Because I was like, what's so special about this? I don't get it. Oh, when I moved over to marketing, I set it up in that same fashion as I, how we had been running sales. So it was basically account-based marketing. We just didn't know it. I didn't, yeah. When they came out with that, I was like, oh, you gave it a fancy name. This is just the way sales has always done it. It's I think just, they only the- renamed it so they didn't have to give sales credit. <laughs> Well, we've also seen um, that that sales is being asked to do more marketing, especially with some new fancy tools where they can do, you know, direct mail and emails and a lot of personalization. Um, and so the problem is, is when you're redundant and both right. of those groups aren't working together. And in fact, you're, you know, as you're, as if, you're, if I'm the CEO and I'm asking my sales to do sales and marketing, I'm asking my marketing to do marketing and sales is a problem. Right, right. You want all your salespeople, uh, you got to have your Instagram account. You got to be that, 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 spend half their day on social media, making posts and this and that. Um, you, you're getting this dilution dilution across the, uh, I almost said delusion, but I guess that either one works right. um, across the two departments. So optics, the third problem, you're saying that what, what you mean by optics is this who's a marketer um, type, of, type of an issue? Yeah, let me let me summarize it. Um, I believe philosophically that that good marketing is bold marketing with data and uh, intuition, and it's that combination of art and science. And I think um, I think bad marketing is often a product of marketing by committee. And it's not always sales that's the main stakeholder. It could be anyone outside of marketing. Uh, it could be product. It could be your executive team. Um, but but the problem occurs is if you don't have a good strategy, plan, and objective, you've got a gap there. And others in your organization will absolutely fill that gap. And it's probably going to be not as impactful as if you had a strong defensive objective gap plan from the get-go as an intuitive strategic marketer. I love that. It makes me think we're fooling, pulling full circle back around to Mad Men almost. We're saying, look, yes, revenues now we're tracking. We need to actually track things. You're held accountable. You have all this stuff going on, but you still need the Mad Men style marketer that can just say, this is what we're doing. I'm pushing this. No committee, no anything. That's it's right. just now you can actually tell whether what that person's doing is, uh, is, is working or not, but it's almost like having a quarterback or a head coach. Like somebody has to just be able to say, this is what we're doing. And you can probably, um, get to good marketing, certainly okay marketing. Um, but I promise you, you will never get great marketing by a committee. You will never be the the category King that everyone looks up to. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you're just starting out, if it's, if it was designed by a committee. That's the quote of the day for me. You'll never get good marketing by committee or great marketing by committee. Right. Maybe you'll get lucky and get, it reminds me of, I think, yeah. the J curve. Like you can only get so high on committee. Now you can go much farther. There's much more risk also of the individual. You better make sure that person is uh, knows their stuff. But when you give them just carte blanche to go do their marketing, bold, you said, I love that word. Bold. Go do bold marketing. Committees don't get very bold. Yeah. Kind of round the edges off of everything. They're very safe. 
Yeah. And they and they if you if you stack two committees against each other, my guess is it's going to be pretty similar, <laughs> pretty mm-hmm. similar result if they both got the same you know tools and play and objective. Which goes back to um, something else we brought up earlier: the getting lost with everyone else. So if your company's yep. committee and your, all your competitors' committees are going to churn out the same stuff and you're all going to look the same in the marketplace, and every potential client is going to have the same blah. What is and you're all, this all using the same channels and you're all talking about you likely in the same way. There's going to be one company that figures it out and says, I'm not going to talk about me. I'm going to go talk about my customers. I'm not going to listen to just every you know one at the company. I'm going to drive towards results here. Um, and I'm going to treat my content like a product, personalize it, create some real relationships, integrate with my sales. And that's how I'm going to achieve what I want to do. And at least at the end of the day, it's my plan. It's the marketing, you know, accountability to, to the very first, you know, thing you said to kick this off is the best thing in the world. Um, if you are accountable for a plan that someone comes up with for you for how passionate can you be about it? Right. Yep. And that's it. So the, uh, the individual voice, when you mentioned committee, I think if you blend all these people together, um, you always get a drab average kind of, there's no personality when you mix a bunch of people's personalities right. um, or if they all had the same exciting personality, well, then you only really need one of them. So <laughs> if you all have right. different opinions, then um, you can't all be necessary. And yet if you all have the same opinion, you're still not all necessary. So maybe you need that one bold person. Yeah. in in one of the things that I say um, is, is these rules is you should solicit feedback on everything. But that doesn't mean you have to take it. It's your call ultimately. Mm. I love it. I feel like the uh, the the central takeaway from this episode is going to be to do bold marketing, even if you get it wrong. Sometimes do bold marketing. And if you're doing bold marketing with uh, um, with a with a budget and a plan that is generating revenue for the company, that seems like a pretty good outcome. Um, anything else on the optics side? So we, we've got justification, the change, and the optics as the three problems to overcome here. Central topic again: revenues and marketers focusing on revenues. Um, anything we were missing on the uh, on the optics issue? I think the only thing there is um, is you got to dialogue with with your buyers and your customers, and be that be that source that that gets the information. You know, treat everything like a science experiment. Um, if you've got a, a logical way of getting to uh, why you did something, um, it's a it's a really easy way to bring people along for the ride. And my my very first thought and rule inside of optics is communicate what you did, are doing, and are about to do. Because if you don't tell everyone what you're doing and bring them along for a ride, they may start doing it themselves. And then you're as far from integrated as you can be. (laughs) And also that takes it right back to justification, I guess. I ask people that all the time. I say, well, why did you do that? And they think they're in trouble. And I'm like, no, no, I just want to know that you know why you did it. Yeah. And then it's, it doesn't even matter if you were wrong. The only problem is if you just did it and you don't know why you were just like, I got to do something. And you did something random. It's like, if you did some stupid stunt or a campaign, it's like, I didn't know why you used that word. If you didn't yes. think about it, if it wasn't intentional, then it's a problem. If it was an accident, 
then it's an accident. But as long as there was a reason for executing this campaign in this way or doing this or doing that, uh, like you better have thought about it and have a reason. And then it doesn't matter if it failed so much, you're justifying at least that you thought the process out and there was intentionality there. Yeah, well said. Marketers need to stop being busy and start being impactful. Hell yeah, we're just getting the quotes piling up here today. Okay, optics. Let's uh, go over a couple of things here again, focusing on revenues and and marketing's focus and ability to focus on on revenues as a metric. Um, looking at at your article, this art in this article, you've got thirty revenue rules. Um, so we've talked touched on these three problems. Um, you've got these thirty rules. You also have uh, a little. Um, a little bit of an advanced notice here, but you've been working on a book uh, called Revenue Rules. Uh, we were going to have that be the topic of this episode even at one point, and I love that Revenue Rules um, double entendre thing uh, going on there. So yeah. It just makes me want to say it. Yes, it rules and there are rules. There are rules. And the rules, I mean, focus on it. It's the it's the primary drive towards it. Don't lose that. And then the, but there are ways to combat these problems. I don't want to just throw you throw them out there and say, you know, it is what it is. You know, good luck. Like this was, you know, kind of the last 10 years, I, I mapped a career path to, to get to a CMO. And I said, you know, when I'm in charge someday, I'm going to do it differently. And then I wrote all those down along the way. And then I started talking to people and I started saying, what are your challenges? What are keeping you from, from reaching your potential? And that's the premise of the book in the name here is, um, is these are common things that, that you, you know, you could call them crowdsourced of just marketers who are like, ah, I, I feel like I could be that much more effective if it wasn't for this in my way. And then I started writing them down and organizing them. And, and the 30 rules don't fit perfectly and evenly into the three problems. And that's because each each of the the, the tactics or ways of addressing these problems, um, they kind of have you know a, an advantage towards one problem or the other. That's fantastic. I love the way that you developed it. I have, and I, I just pulled it up. I don't know how many I have. I'm only up to 24. I haven't been on it as long as you. Um, but uh, I have a, a document I created a long time ago when I started just taking down the same things like, oh, here's a, um, you know, a rule, basically, yes. I guess I'd say. And I just call my document for success. So it's not specifically marketing because I was doing business in general, jumping from department to department, trying to make a successful business and just things I noticed along the way, things people taught me that I learned. Um, and that's a great, you turn, I'm going to have to take your book and just swap some of your words out and use mine to please for another, uh, so you get right. ready, get ready to sue me. <laughs> we'll <laughs> collaborate. And that's um, the, I mean, that's the main point of, of all of this is in, in, you know, why, why I'm working on the book too, is I don't want it to be one voice and one person, you know, me kind of, you know, spouting out a bunch of ideas. I want these to inspire you, but I also want to um, have a lot of quotes, testimonials and other marketers uh, validating them. Like this is, this is a, uh, a problem that I have and what you'll, what you'll find in the book and what you'll find in, you know, upcoming thought leadership from me is the stories behind it. Like I can give you an example where, um, you know, for example, uh, eliminated friction to buy from you. Like I believe there's there's a lot of things that marketers do in the first problem of justification to maybe gate too much, throw too mm. many obstacles in front of you at the expense of ultimately revenue. And so 
make it frictionless to buy from you and you will be a more effective revenue generating machine by doing so. Yeah. Removing friction. Absolutely. Um, And I love that though you pointed out and you kind of glossed over it that most of the time or a lot of the time, I guess I'd say, at least there is a why for the, like the friction is put there on purpose. Yes. A lot of time. And then you have to ask, should it be there or not? So companies, their companies do a poor job of setting their stuff up. Um, and then they have friction in there and they didn't want there to be, they just couldn't create it without it. Um, or they haven't figured out how to. And then there's the companies that gate things to the extent that there's so much friction, but it's a cover charge. You do want some of that because you're looking for a certain crowd. You don't want a bunch of fights in your bar. So you put a cover charge out and suddenly you get a different group of clientele. Um, if you just say free beer all day, every day, come in at you know, seven in the morning, you're going to have a lot more problems to handle. But when you put a $50 cover charge, most of the problems go away, but maybe also all the customers. So how do you find that balance in the friction there? where you are filtering people out, they're going to be a problem, not bring in revenue. Right. And yet you're still, um, you're not filtering everybody out and not getting anybody in. Uh, so great. I love that analogy. And, and maybe the way it'll help someone, if I, the way I should think about it is uh, ultimately on your website, for example, is I'm trying to get you to understand what we do. And I'm trying to make it very, very easy for, for you as a prospect to understand our benefits, offering other customers the, you know, the, the ultimate what you will get from it. And so when I think about uh, an asset that I have, such as a, a, a video that goes through um, you know, a, a customer testimonial or an ebook or an infographic, um, I ask myself is, is will, this re- will this educate them? And is it worth them not getting the education? by me collecting their information on the front end. So if I gate something, um, it's gotta be a, a next level premium content that I'm like, if it's just a product material and how many, how many people are gating just basic information to understand what you do, or you're like in the buying mode and then you're like, oh, I gotta give you my contact information. And they, they gate their FAQ page or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> you don't do that. You gate, you gate maybe the premium stuff that you would sell. And that's where, you know, under change, one of the things I say is treat your marketing content like a product. And if you think about it as that good, you can then decide I'm going to either gate it, I'm going to sell it, or I'm going to give it away for free. But either way, I'm adding value. And uh, one of the things is probably in my rules somewhere. Um, I tell people, do thought experiments where you go to the extremes. So what if when somebody tried to go to your website, the whole site was gated? Oh, you want to see the site? All you see is like, put in your email. Well, now what if you're not asking for the email, but you're asking for just everything about them just to even see the site? Are you going to do you get more or less now if you do that and you get more maybe great but usually when you go to the extremes it doesn't it doesn't work out so well um and then nowadays people do the gating but all you're asking for is the email because you know with companies like ours on the data side they can use an api and fill in all the rest of the email the information anyway so why make people fill out three pages of information about themselves to qualify they're like we'll just let them put in the email and then we'll decide how we follow up based on everything else that gets autofilled. That's a great example. And that's why the, that's why it says reduce friction and it's not eliminate all friction because you may still want to get their information because you can continue to add value to them. But if you can just get their email 
that's a pretty easy ask. But if they're trying to download an ebook and they're filling out 15 fields, what are the chances that they get any value from you and they just bail? This is where the explicit content part of the podcast comes in. When you say reduce some friction, but not all, imagine how little fun life would be if you reduced all friction. I'm talking about the bedroom. <laughs> you, you want the right amount of friction, people. Um, so, um, yes, explicit content. All right. I think we wrapped it up pretty well. One last thing I want to ask you when talking about revenues and marketers being responsible for revenues in some sort of way, or, or at least needing to focus on that metric, do you see anything new coming in the future, either new technologies around this or just a new way of, of things being done? We've already had this little shift. There's the revenue title. We've talked about that, you know, people, but how far is this going to go? Is this part of the constantly moving space in marketing and it's just going to constantly shift around or are we really evolving into something that is distinctly and forever different in how marketing is done and how it's measured and how the marketers themselves are are looked at well i think about um the tenure of of marketers and in the title of chief marketing officer and and in what what they've been doing in the past versus in the future. And in the future, they're being asked to, to own um, not just the marketing funnel, but the entire funnel of the company. So, so help us with alliances and partners. Help us with the sales and, out, and outbound motion. Help us with the customer uh, growth side of things. Um, and and some of those chief marketing officers are getting new titles because of it. They're turning into chief growth officers or chief revenue officers. Um, and so I don't think um, I don't think that's going away anytime soon. I think I think a long gone are the days where uh, you can you can grow the company and be satisfied with just the fact that you are increasing brand awareness. I think there's too much too many tools available and and too many companies that have proven. I can get to hyper growth by focusing on this and ha and not letting my sales team do it alone, but bringing the two together and then putting partnership on top of that. And then looking at the, the whole view, um, including your current customer base and getting a great outcome. It seems like I love all that. It seems like the focusing on brand, the old school, again, you go back to, uh, um, you go back to the old school marketing and it's brand put out the big advertisements and stuff. It's the only way we have to market. Uh, it seems like that old school method is almost a fake it till you make it. We're going to spend a bunch of money on advertising and that's because brand is all we can grow. And that brings in the sales versus now, once you can, once we have all these other ways of doing things, marketing actually has a boots on the ground approach. and. So the brand comes with the growth instead of the other way around. It was really like there was this, with the internet now, the small person can get all this growth, right? You don't have to have the billboards and the magazine ads and the TV and the radio spots and everything. It's like we couldn't have software as a service if it required that for people to find out about it. But with the internet, um, suddenly you say, oh, we can grow this way instead of the spend a ton of money on brand. And now people know who you are and come buy your stuff. It's it, I think it's a better system. Um, I think it's more democratized in that you don't have to already be big 
you don't have this money moat around growing a big business. You can start out as nothing and just, but you're the growth instead of the brand is the mechanism. Now you're getting the brand through growth instead of the growth through brand. Yeah. I love the way you put that. It's, it's the order that's kind of flipped on its head. Um, and, and if I was hired at 10, B2B SaaS companies, I would start with demand gen 10 out of 10 times. Um, and I think the way people think about brand, you know, especially in, in the companies that I work with, has shifted from does everyone understand and recognize my brand to how is my brand perceived in the category? And is that a category that's saturated or am I going to open up a new category? And, and ultimately, that's still a growth decision because you're trying to go after a market with a predictable motion. Right. And it seems like brand now, when you see companies doing fully brand commercials, it's like, okay, this isn't selling. They're just talking about how much they love puppies or here's who we are as, as a company. Um, you can only do that once you're already big now. Like if you, yeah. if nobody knows who you are and what you do, it's like, well, now you need to get growth and go out and actually close deals. And then once you close enough deals, you've developed brand, people know who you are, what you do. And now, you know, Zoom meetings can go out and their commercials can be all about anything because we already know what they do. So now that, yeah, it seems like the, the growth brand thing has flipped on its head. Again, I love it because you're taking away the need to already have all the money in order to grow. Um, now That's have right. a good and a, product and kick some ass and market the shit out of it and you can grow. And there's a lot of examples where going back to, um, you know, using your platform for your customers, if you share it, they'll share it. If your influencers start to share it, you've now got a different brand motion from interruption marketing to someone who I admire just mentioned this. Let me go look into it. All right. So I guess maybe we tweak a little bit um, what we said earlier with the bold marketing. Yes, have bold marketing, but keep it on brand. You know, <laughs> our brand here is market the shit out of it. We could say that. But some companies, if they start saying that kind of stuff, it might be a little off putting to their customer base. Um, so make sure you're on, on brand with who your brand actually is, which means who your customer base wants your brand to be probably is, uh, is where you want to get that from a little bit or who they'll tolerate anyway. Yeah, and I'm I'm a really simple simple marketer. Um, I believe in brand. I, you know, if if you said what are the three things you're going to do with this company, it would be brand, demand, and expand. Expand being your customers, and those three together feel like a magic formula to growth. Oh yeah, brand, demand, and expand. Not necessarily in that order. That's right. I love it. All right. Um, anything else we want to add in there before we go? We've got so much in here already. We'll throw some stuff out there on where people can find you and whatnot, but any last, uh, last thoughts? No. Um, thank you for having me. This is, this has been a, a ton of fun. Hopefully this, um, this at least challenged maybe some of the ways that you're thinking or presenting your, your information, uh, to your CMO, to your, uh, CEO, president, board, um, because you know they're, they're expecting certain things. I would encourage you to put your arm around one person, and that being the CFO. And you, if you can be buddies with them and they buy into it, um, you will not fail as a marketer. That's great. Yeah, the board rarely goes against the CFO. Um, <laughs> he's the guy when he says yes, this makes us money again. You want going back to the beginning here. You want to be. Ace Rothstein, 
uh, De Niro's character from Casino, not any of the others. That does not end well for them. So make revenues and uh, and you will be kept uh, kept around. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast. We're going to have uh, all the information on this episode, of course, on the If You Market site. You're already listening somewhere, so obviously you know where to get us. But uh, please do give us a good review. Um, give us a good rating wherever you listen to us. So this, we've said it a couple of times, but this is such a big topic and we're just running all around trying to keep um, things held together here that we kind of skipped over some of the regular structure of the show. I'm sure the listeners are like, oh, boo, we don't get to hear a lot about Connexium, but uh, <laughs> you can find, we'll have the link to Connexium on the, um, uh, in, in the show notes for you as well. Uh, find Cody on LinkedIn, follow him, connect with him there. We'll have a link to the, uh, his his post on the 30 revenue rules for more effective, scalable, predictable growth. Um, I, I believe is a, is a title there. Keep an Great. eye out for his book on revenue rules or revenue rules exclamation point. However, we end up uh, that ends up coming out. And uh, on behalf of the team here at, uh, at if you market on behalf of the, if you market team and Cody Ward of Connexium, thank you for listening to the, if you market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it, with a focus on revenues, they will come. Are you looking for new leads or always in need of quality contacts for your marketing campaigns? But list companies and online tools are the worst, right? Well, then you've got to check out Top Data Search by Mountaintop Data. At Mountaintop Data, we're a team of weird people that actually like getting our hands dirty with sales and marketing data, and we specialize in business contact information. We compile and maintain a database of tens of millions of targeted high-quality business decision makers with emails, phone numbers, mailing address, and all the information you need. Go to topdatasearch.com and request a free account with the promo code IYM1000, like if you market the podcast here, and get a free account with unlimited searches, no seat fees, and 1,000 free record download credits. That's topdatasearch.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.